2 Kings chapter number 13. Amen. I am very pleased on this Wednesday night to have Bethlehem Church greet the ministers and saints of ALJC Philippines. Amen. That's right. We're so glad to be part. Amen. We're thankful to be sharing our midweek service with our brothers and sisters. According to Google, it is, exa it is exactly 8,760 miles from this pulpit to Davao City, Philippines. And here we are going to be joined together in, by technology to worship the Lord. Amen. We are very thankful. Bethlehem Church loves our missionary and sister Naomi, such wonderful people. And we honor them and we love them and thankful for their leadership uh, with the ALJC of Philippines. I preached in uh, the Philippines. Uh, it's been 15 years ago, almost 16 years ago. And uh, I want to say how much I honor the men of God that I met uh, way back then, Brother Nino, Brother Blanca, Brother Aramis, and also my friend, Brother Alan Malunez. I appreciate these men and I honor all of our national leaders. One more time, can you honor the leaders of ALJC Philippines? Amen. To so the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 13, verse number 14 through verse number 20, I'm very honored, uh, of course, to be preaching to this church that I love so much, some of the greatest people in the world right here in uh, Bethlehem, and also with our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. And I am so thankful to be able to be a part. And I believe our church is thankful to be able to be a part of this great conference. And uh, I was supposed to have been there in 2020. And I was supposed to be there uh, here in a couple of weeks. And because of COVID, that has all changed. But I'm thankful to be able to be a part of this conference nonetheless. Second Kings chapter number 13. Verses number 14 through 20, if you found it, say amen. amen. Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha said, And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. You all thought I was uh, almost making an expletive there, didn't you? And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Israel, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in effect till thou hast consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them and he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground and he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him 
and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. I think one of the saddest things in the Bible about such a great man of God is the fact that Elisha died angry. After all those years of living and serving and working for God, a man that had the double portion of the spirit of Elijah on him died angry and Elisha died and they buried him and the Moabites invaded the land. I want to preach for a while tonight on this subject, no success without successors. No success without successors. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to bless this congregation here tonight Anoint me to preach your word. I pray that you would anoint the congregation that hears in the Philippines and anoint as the Spirit of the Lord begins to move in this message to quicken our hearts, God. I pray that you would confirm your word with signs following, and I pray, God, that you would have your way. Lord, in the name of Jesus, pour your Spirit out and do a work of the Holy Ghost here, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated tonight. Lift your voice with that hand clap and shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Oh, God. A strange and bizarre story begins along the banks of the Tagus River about 140 kilometers northeast of Madrid, in the country of Spain. The year was 1881 A.D., and a mostly forgotten order of monks known as the Cistercians began construction of the Santa Maria de Oliva Monastery. This particular group had a very strict view of monastic service to the Lord. They began this monastery in 1181 and construction continued for 400 years. With the rise and fall of monarchs and nations, the ebb and flow of leadership, the order eventually declined to near extinction. There are hardly any left to this day. The story fast forwards to the year 1931 when the famed American newspaper magnate decided that he wanted to abandon, to buy the abandoned monastery and to dismantle it stone by stone and move the monastery to his land just outside of San Francisco, California. William Randolph Hearst purchased the monastery and had it dismantled stone by stone for shipment. 
over 10,000 stones weighing in excess of 2,200 tons were painstakingly moved and shipped to the port in San Francisco. Each stone marked so it would go back to this precise place, numbered and color-coded. Detailed blueprints were made so that the building, the monastery, could be reassembled exactly as it was originally built. What's the point of buying an ancient building if you're not going to put it back how it was originally built? There's no point spending the money for an ancient monastery if you're going to take the stones and not make it like it was originally intended to be. The value of the building was in its ancient beauty, not in its modern modifications. Old things are valuable not when they're changed. They're valuable when they are maintained how they were designed for their original intent by their original architect. After the purchase of the building, his financial losses associated with the Great Depression, also World War II broke out. Fires in the facilities holding the stones all caused Hearst to abandon his original plan of moving the monastery and making it a castle for himself. According to the source I read, when they began to look at reconstruction, there was one major problem. The original blueprints had been lost or destroyed. Now they had 10,000 stones, but they had no blueprint on how to put it back together again. There was no plan to show them the original design. And so for years, the stones laid abandoned, useless, and wasted. What was once a beautiful building is now a scattered pile of rubble because the plan had been lost. The blueprint had been destroyed. And now they took a few of the stones and in the Gateway Park in the city of San Francisco, they use the stones not to rebuild the monastery, but as stones to line flower beds in a park, if you'll show that picture. Stones of an ancient monastery, stones that should be part of a beautiful building, are now nothing more than a little bit of decoration in a flower bed because no one ensured that the original plans were passed down to the next generation of builders. The church was left in ruins, far from its original purpose and far from its original plan. Brothers and sisters, we cannot allow what happened to the Santa Maria Monastery happen to the Apostolic Church. We have been handed the most valuable set of blueprints that has ever been entrusted to anyone. The blueprint for the apostolic church. Our doctrine, one God in Christ. Baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Our worship, 
our prayer, our holiness lifestyle are all part of the blueprint that it takes to have a Holy Ghost revival in this generation. We don't need a new building. We need an original blueprint. We don't need a new structure. We need an original plan. We just need to make sure we have the plan handed down from one generation to the next generation. Not only do we have to preserve the original power and message of the church, we must also pass it down to the next generation of apostolic leaders. It's not enough for us to treasure and love the apostolic experience. We are commanded to train our future generations to believe it and love it and know it and live it and pass it on. There is no success without a successor. The greatest commandment in the Bible, according to the Jews, is called the Shema. It is found in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. How many know that scripture? How many can say it with me when we quote it again? Hear, O Israel. Come on, say it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Brother Wilson, thank you for December the 5th of 19, not 1995, that's, I was married in 2005. You came to the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and you held my oldest baby girl in your arms, and the first thing you said to her was, there's just one God, and Jesus is his name. Thank you. Thank you for handing that down. Amen. There's just one God, and his name is Jesus. I'm thankful for this fundamental truth about who God is. I'm glad I know that there's one God, and I'm glad I know his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's say that verse out loud. Let's shout it out one more time because that's part of the blueprint of who we are. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I'm glad I know that truth. Amen. Thank you to the previous generations of apostolics that passed that down to me, that I was able to grow up in a church of people that knew this message. Amen. This one verse is filled with power. Amen. It's a powerful revelation of God, but it's preceded by a likewise powerful verse. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 and 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. This verse has to do with our health as a spiritual nation, that it may be well with thee. Anybody want it to be well with you? Amen. I want it to be well with the church. He said that it may be well with you so that you will be healthy as a spiritual people. It has to do with our expansion of the spiritual kingdom that we may increase mightily. It has to do with our inheritance from our forefathers, the patriarchs, that he said that as the Lord God of thy fathers 
has promised thee. This verse is talking about your blessing. This verse is talking about your increase. This verse is talking about your promise. It has everything to do with our growth as a spiritual people. And all of these promises are preceded with an impactful phrase. Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it. Two commands. The first one, to hear. The second one, to do. Hear, Israel, listen to the word. But don't just listen do something about what you hear. It's not enough to just hear it. You got to do it. But if you'll hear it and do it, it will be well with you in the land of promise flowing with milk and honey. You'll increase mightily. May I tell you that if we will hear the word of God and do the word of God, we'll see a Holy Ghost revival that will sweep across this land and through this church. But we got to hear it and we got to do it. Hear what the Lord, hear that the Lord our God is one. But then he, did, he said hear, and then he said observe to do it. But there's nothing we can do about God being one. Amen. God's one whether we think it is or not. Whole denominations have been built on him being three. But my Bible says there's one. And it doesn't matter how many want to think he's more than one. He's still just one. There's nothing I can do about it. I can build as many statues as I want, but that doesn't make there more than one God. I can build as many altars as I want, but that doesn't make there more than one God. There's just one God. Jesus is his name. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When you've seen him, you've seen the Father. There's one throne and one that sits upon the throne. His name is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing the Pope can do about it. There's nothing denominations can do about it. You can have all the conferences, all the creeds. You can have all the synods. You can have all the conventions that you want. And you can't do anything about the fact that there's one God. The, but the Bible says to hear and do. So I can hear that there's one God, but what can I do? What does this passage tell me to do about it? It tells me in verse number 5 of Deuteronomy 6 that I had to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all of my might. That's what I've got to do about it. It's not enough for me just to know about God. I got to do something. I got to love him with everything I have. It's not enough for me to call myself a Christian. I'm not a Christian until I love him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. I can call myself an apostolic, but until I love him with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my might, I'm not doing anything about it. I'm just talking, but I'm not doing. But the Bible said observe to do it. So here's the rest of the commandment, verse number seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. May I tell you it is not enough that we love God with all our heart, soul, and might, but we are commanded to teach our next generation to love him with all their heart 
with all their soul and with all their might. There is no success without successors. If we don't pass our faith on to another generation, we're wasting our time and God's time because there's no success without a successor. Amen. My generation and the older generation of this church, we can shout all we want to, talk in tongues all we want to, live as holy as we want to, but if we don't raise up another generation of apostolic leaders that know how to pray, know how to worship, know how to win souls, know how to live holy, know how to preach, know how to teach, and know how to serve, then we're not doing what God called us to do. It's not enough for us to have it. There's no success without a successor. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know what, I'm not really trying that hard to hurry. Because if I was really trying that hard, I'd do it. Elijah was a powerful man of God. He was the voice of God to his generation. In famine, in opposition, in peril, he stood against kingdoms, he stood against, pri against priests and princes and soldiers. He heard from God, spoke for God, and worked miracles with God. His ministry was so powerful that he was included on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and with Jesus Christ. My question is, my question is tonight, why was it Elijah and not Elisha on the Mount of Transfiguration? Just, it's a question. I want you to ponder on it for a minute. Why was it Elijah standing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration instead of Elisha? Elijah was a great man of God, but the Bible said Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So why would the man with the double portion not be on the mount? Elijah worked, was it six miracles? Seven miracles? And Elisha worked 14 miracles. He had twice the spirit of Elijah and double the miracles of Elijah. So wouldn't it stand to reason that the man with double the spirit and double the miracles should have been the one on the Mount of Transfiguration instead of the man with half the spirit and half the miracles, right? So why was it Elisha? Why wasn't Elisha on the Mount instead of Elijah? I believe that it's that we can make a logical deduction from their two ministries. Elijah found Elisha plowing in a field with his father's oxen. Elijah, the Bible said, cast his mantle at him, signifying that he was calling him to participate in his ministry. Elisha left the oxen. He, 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 he got rid of all of that. He moved on into the ministry with Elijah. He faithfully walked with Elijah. He served Elijah. And he walked with him until the moment that Elijah was taken up. When Elijah was taken up, the Bible said that Elisha caught the mantle of Elijah. The word mantle in the Hebrew is the word adoret. 
The word adoret is a specific kind of mantle. The adoret, according to the resource that I read, was a garment sort of like a modern-day jacket or coat. It had, it had a place for the arms to go through. It, 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 it didn't just slide over the shoulder. It wasn't like a shawl that he just kind of wrapped around. It was, like, it was sort of like a coat that he had his arms in and, or his arms through. And so he had this mantle. And the Bible said that the horsemen of Israel that took Elijah up, that he didn't die, he was carried up with a chariot into heaven. And while he's going into heaven, Elisha stands on the ground and he says, my father, my father, the horsemen of Israel and the chariot thereof. And then he sees the mantle, the adoret, as it falls from the sky. And Elisha, he gets the garment, he gets the mantle of Elijah, and he goes to the waters and he smites it and says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He smites the waters and the waters roll back and Elisha goes through and Elisha steps into a double portion, double miracle ministry. My question is, how did the mantle fall from Elijah? If his arms are through it, how does it fall? Maybe God took him by the ankles. And while he's on his chariot ride to heaven, God shakes him until it falls off. No, no. What happened was there was an elder minister, an elder prophet, who knew that there was a younger prophet that needed the anointing of that mantle in his life. And so the older generation took off the mantle and passed it down to a younger generation because Elijah knew there's no success without a successor. And so I've got to pass the mantle down. It takes two things for there to be a next generation of apostolic leadership. It takes an older generation that's willing to pass a mantle down, and it takes a younger generation that's willing to pick a mantle up. And if you get an older generation and a younger generation that are willing to work together, there's nothing that can't be accomplished for the kingdom of God because success requires a successor. And so now time goes. Time goes by. And as time goes by now, Elisha is an old man himself. And the Bible says that he is sick of the sickness whereof he died. Elisha, the man with the double portion, the man with twice the miracles, is now laying on his deathbed. And as he lays on his deathbed, in walks the king to pay his final respects. And when the king looks down at Elisha, he says the exact words to Elisha that Elisha had said to Elijah years before. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Maybe it clicked something in the mind of Elisha. This might be the man that I can give my mantle to. This might be the man that I can pass my ministry to. And so the spirit of prophecy gets on to Elisha. And he says, he says, Joash, pick up a bow and arrows and smite the arrows on the ground. Now you got to understand the mentality of Elisha. Elisha is a man that thinks in terms of double portions. 
double spirit, double miracles. He's not satisfied with ordinary, average, and run-of-the-mill. If you're going to do something for God, you've got to become unsatisfied with average and ordinary and run-of-the-mill. We need to expect great things. We need to expect great things. Listen, boys and girls, don't settle for an average of somebody in your life. You raise your expectations. You don't settle for average and ordinary. Don't settle for average worship. Don't settle for average praise. Don't settle for an average ministry. You tell God, I want a double portion. I want everything. I'm telling Bethlehem Church and I'm telling ALJC Philippines, don't settle for average, ordinary church and average, ordinary ministries. You got to have a double portion mentality if you want to do something for God. And so Elisha thinks in terms of double portions. And so he tells, he tells the, the king, pick up the arrows and smite the arrows on the ground. And the Bible said that he smote the arrows three times and he stayed. He just, okay, you told me to smite them, so I'm just going to do enough. I'm just going to do enough to, to appease the old man. I'm just going to do enough to make the older generation satisfied that I tried. I'm not going to go too far. I'm not going to go all the way. I'm just going to just do enough to try to make the elder get off my back a little bit and not bug me about it. He did three times, and he stopped. And when he stopped, the Bible said the man of God was wroth. Elisha became angry. He said, you don't understand what's available to you right now. You could have defeated your enemy until the enemy was completely gone, but you only have a halfway mentality. You don't have a double portion mentality. He said, you should have smoked the ground five or six times. If you'd have gone the extra mile, you'd have had complete victory, but you only got enough to feed, to make an old man feel like you did enough. Let me tell you, young folks, let let me tell you next generation of apostolic leaders. Let me tell our young preachers something. Now, don't you just go far enough till you think you can get me and Brother Wilson satisfied. You go as far as you need to go to get complete deliverance. I'd rather you be a soul winner than a good preacher. Can I just preach a little bit? I'd rather raise up home Bible study teachers than preachers. I'd rather raise up soul winners than pulpiteers any day of my life. I wish somebody would say amen. You need to start smiting arrows and say I'm not satisfied with just being another Pentecostal church brat. I'm not satisfied with just being another voice in Pentecost. I want to have a double portion anointing on my life. And I should have. He said you should have smote it five or six times. But when Elisha realizes that the king doesn't have a double portion mentality. He realizes this man can't get my mantle because he doesn't have my mentality. And so now the Bible said Elisha, the Bible says now that Elisha is wroth and then he dies. And when he dies, he's buried. 2 Kings 13 and 20, and Elisha died and they buried him and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. Without no one to carry the mantle of Elisha, the enemy ran roughshod over the land. Without an anointing to stop them, the Moabites invaded and took over the land. 
As soon as Elisha is buried, the enemies, the enemy comes in because the anointing that Elisha carried has not been passed on to anyone. Because there was no successor to Elisha's ministry, the enemy triumphed. Because there was no successor, the enemy took advantage. Because there was no successor, Israel suffered. And it's my opinion that the reason it was Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration and not Elisha is because one had a successor and the other did not. One had a future generation that took up the mantle and Elisha had twice the spirit but no successor. Elisha worked twice the miracles but he had no successor. This tells me that God is more interested in us training in the next generation than he is in us working miracles. God would rather us raise up another voice, another anointed man of God, than he would to raise up another miracle worker. God would rather raise up another leader than he would another miracle worker. Amen. That's what, the, that's what this tells me because he didn't pick the man with double the miracles to stand on the Mount of Transfiguration. He picked the man that had a successor. And may I tell you, the most important thing that Bethlehem Church is going to do over these next few years until the Lord comes back is raise up next generations of leaders to walk in the Holy Ghost to speak in the Holy Ghost, to lead revival, to do the work of God. Amen. We must focus our attention on training and teaching people to work for God. It's not enough for us just to come and feel the Holy Ghost and feel good and worship. We've got to pass on what we have. There's no success without successors. We have to train leaders. We have to train visionaries. We have to train preachers and prophets and teachers and workers in the kingdom of God because there's no success without a successor. We can't just pile, pass on a pile of stones without the blueprints or all we'll have is a bunch of rubble. We have all the parts necessary for a great church, but if we don't have a plan then we won't ever reach our potential. Our next generation of leaders knows how to talk in tongues. They know how to worship. They know how to come to church. But we must pass on how to lead and grow and work in the spirit because there's no success without a successor. There was still power in Elisha's mantle but there was no one to carry it. And so the Bible said that Elisha died and was buried, and the Moabites came in. During a battle, a soldier died. The Bible said as they were retreating to get away from the advancing enemy, they took this Hebrew soldier, and they threw him into the cave where Elisha's bones laid. And when they threw the body of this dead soldier onto the body of the dead prophet and his mantle, the dead soldier came back to life because there was power in a buried mantle. But mantles are not supposed to be buried. Mantles are supposed to be passed on. 
And if there was that much power in a buried mantle, imagine how much power there is in a carried mantle. Woo, hallelujah. If there's that much power in a buried ministry, imagine how much power there is in a carried ministry. Folks, we got to pass on to another generation of leaders what it means to be a one God, Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled, apostolic. It's more than just the church I go to. It's what I am. It's who I am. It's what we are. Amen. I've come to tell you, we've got to pass on. That's why we need leadership training. That's why all of our new members need to come to first steps. And you need to get in growth class. You need to get in a Bible study and a life group. Because it's more than just coming and being entertained a couple of times a week. You've got to get this ministry in your spirit. Because there's no success without a successor. God, I pray, raise up another generation of leaders. God, raise up another generation of leaders. Raise up people who are hungry for mantles in their lives. And God, help us as an older generation to be committed to training our next generation of apostolic people. There is no success without successors. So you stand with me and lift your hands to heaven tonight. I wonder if you could lift your voice right now and say, God, help us to pass our mantle. Help Bethlehem Church to not be buried with its mantle, but help us to pass it on from generation to generation. Help us to raise up young men and young women who are hungry and to train for work in the Spirit. Help us to raise up people who are hungry to do something for God. Not just to enjoy the blessings of a ministry, but to pass it on. For there is no success. May I tell you, just like the bones and mantle of Elisha, there's enough power to resurrect a dead generation. But only if we pass it on to someone else. Amen. Lift your hands all over this place tonight. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, help my generation and the older generations to be committed, oh God, to passing on our faith and our mantle to another generation. Can you help me pray all over this place tonight? I was specifically asked to preach to the Philippine conference on passing on leadership, on passing on what we have, raising up leaders and raising up people. And so I want us to pray all over Bethlehem Church tonight for ALJC Philippines, that God would anoint the men of God and the leaders there to raise up another generation of apostolic preachers. Men and women who know how to work in the Holy Ghost, who know how to pray, who understand this one God, Jesus name message. And I wonder if while you're watching this in in Manila or in the Philippines, in Davao City, wherever you're watching in the Philippines, I wish you'd pray for Bethlehem Church that we raise up another generation. God, not to be buried with our mantles, 
but to pass our mantles to another generation. For we know there is no success without successors. Amen. While they begin to sing, we have so many young people, children in the altar right now. I wonder if we could have some elders come in behind them and lay your hand on them and ask God to help us raise them up as apostolic leaders. We have some new members in our church that they're not necessarily young people in age, but they're young in their relationship with God. Maybe you could come up behind them and put your hand on them and pray with them. This is a critical transfer from generation to generation. Oh God, help us, Lord, to invest in our young people, to invest in our next generation. Help us, God, to be the kind of church, the kind of movement that invests in its young people, where we don't resent them being called and anointed and used, but we're glad to pass our mantles and to raise up a powerful generation.
folks right the Holy Ghost is touching these young folks right now God, place your blessing on their lives. God, place your hand on their lives, Lord. God, use them for great things in the kingdom. God, pour a double portion out on them. Give them twice as many miracles as we've seen. Use them mightily, but also anointed to pass their mantle to somebody.
this word tonight. You know, the world spends their whole life trying to make a legacy for their name, for their family. Well, I want my legacy to be in the church with a family serving the Lord. I want my children to carry on what God has put in me, but even to be better than what I've done. And I'm blessed. I, I, I can say I'm blessed at that. God has worked mightily in my family, and, I, and I'm so appreciative of it. But it's only because I put it in them. I made them. I drugged them to church. Whether they wanted to or not, they didn't have a choice. They were coming to church because I had goals in my life, and that's to make sure that my family was saved, make sure they were living right. You know, I think it was Bishop Wilson that preached one time, one thing better than heaven, one thing worse than hell, and that's one thing better is bringing your family with you to heaven. The only thing worse than going to hell is taking your children with you. I want to make sure I'm on the proper side. I want to make sure that I'm living a, a legacy, sending my legacy on to my children, that they can be raised up in church, living right, serving the Lord, and making a legacy of their own, that they can have children bring them up in church. Amen? That's what it's all about. If we're not doing it for that purpose, we're not doing it for the right reason. Amen, amen. What a word we had this evening. I pray that you take it with you, apply it to your hearts. Remember that it's not all about you, but you've got another generation to, to uh, expand and to grow. So keep that in your hearts and your minds. God, we love you. We thank you for this word. God, we pray, Lord, you would strengthen us, Lord, as we go our separate ways, God, and help us to be mindful of what you've given us tonight, God, and mindful to, to give it to the generations to come. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of Jesus.